What's up, everyone? You're now listening to the City Image Podcast with your host. You already know who I am. This is Brian, the Theological Giant. Glad to be with you guys for another episode. I've got two of my nearest and dearest co-hosts with me. Introduce yourselves. Varlene the Wildthorn Berry. What's up, Varlene? How you doing? What's up? Glad to be virtually fellowshipping with you. Yes. <laughs> Likewise. And this is uh, this is Andy, Young Nassau County. What's up, what's up, what's up, bro? Glad to be with you guys, man. I know we're making it through summer 2020. So what's been going on with y'all, man? Anything I've been seeing in, in culture lately, the news? Yeah, I've been I've been thinking a lot about this whole friend of the show, John MacArthur <laughs> situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you do now, man? What John MacArthur do now, man? What do you do? Yeah, so his church reopened, like some other churches, but he put out this very... Yeah, kind of amplified, bold statement you know, about how, statement. Yeah, 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 just how Christ is the head of the church, Caesar is not, and th- that kind of led out their uh, rationale for for reopening. And then photos come out from the reopening, and it's it's packed out. No one's wearing masks, etc. And then he goes on Tucker Carlson, who was a known racist at this point. Interesting interview on Tucker Carlson, but just basically alluding to coronavirus as like a false narrative. So yeah, I don't know. Obviously, you guys saw this too. So what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. He said, first and foremost, it's a constitutional right, and that to me shows more than anything how political this is how he's thinking first in terms of what his right is, how the leftists are trying to steal my rights, how it's persecution complex that he has. And first and foremost comes his need to affirm his rights over and against how it might affect his neighbor because he has to make a political point. So that's frustrating, but I mean, this is where we are. No. Then he goes into the whole, well, you know, it's only 0.00% of people who die. Like, all of a sudden, like, those lives are not, they don't really matter. It's not, it's not very many. And I'm like, it's going to be more if we don't socially distance. That's the whole point. More people will die. More people will get sick. So I don't. Yeah. Yeah. The other way to flip it is like, there's been three 9-11s. In California. And like 150,000 people dead. And of course, it's devastating poor communities more than it does wealthy affluent people, which probably more than likely are the people going to his church. So, you know, he doesn't care. That is, that, that's the situation that we have there. It, it, it almost seems like John MacArthur and people who follow John MacArthur were like prepared for this. This is what they wanted all along. Yeah. It's like they wanted to see the day when they finally got persecuted for their faith. It, I feel like it's a prophecy that they've been preaching was going to happen for decades. And so now they get to say, see, it's finally happening. This is what we said would happen. The leftists would come in and they would take away all our rights. And so here it is. They've swooped in. They've taken away all our rights, just like we said they would. And I finally, I feel like John MacArthur can die a happy man now because he got to live out what he's been suspecting would come all along, which is the persecution of the leftists, the people who hate God. 
but we're just going to ignore the fact that it's a pandemic going on and, 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 and the least of these are the ones that are being infected. Yeah. Yeah, I think at this point, see, the funny thing is it's not like the, it's not even gathering. It's just like the framing. At this point, I think I saw something where I think like three quarters of churches are back gathering now <clears throat> in one way or another. But you see the picture. I don't know if you saw the picture that they posted from the service and no one's wearing masks, no one's socially distancing. Okay. But then on Tucker Carlson, he's like, people don't believe the lies. They don't believe the, the narrative anymore. And then I think um, him putting out the statement where it's like this bold proclamation that they're being obedient to scripture by gathering instead of it being like, yeah, we just made this decision because we think it's best for us and we think it's best for the church. But it's, as you said, it's this kind of like very performative, bold thing that kind of fulfills this narrative that they get to kind of rock with, even though you can meet in California if you meet outside. And even though they did meet, they didn't really follow any types of guidelines or anything. Because I do think there was like, I think a case in Nevada recently where they weren't keeping the same, they were being selective with like where they were enforcing things. I don't know too much about it to, to make a comment about it, but I could even see someone like complaining and being like, look, like we, we could go to the casino, we could gather in whatever, and, but like we can't gather in church and we just want to meet, we'll follow the guidelines, this and that. I get that depending on where you're at, of course, but it's not the big thing. It's the little things. It's, it's the details that just make it this kind of culture war thing. Yeah. And you can tell just by what you said, right? Uh, let's just say it was really just about community and just about the need for us to be in each other's presence and the need for the church to function as a church, right? No one is denying that's important. No one is. That's part of the reason why we are grieved that the coronavirus is even here, that it's interrupted human relationships in the way that it has. But you don't need to not wear a mask in order to come together and be in each other's company. Like, the simple fact that you're showing up, you're not wearing masks, you're, you're not practicing any social distancing. What does that mean? That means that you're openly being defiant because you don't think this is a big deal. And so for me, but it's, it's like... It's not, just, it's not just that it's not a big deal. There's a lot of places now where if you wear a mask, people... <clears throat> even if you go out to like Long Island, it's like this. You wear a mask and people think you're like a liberal and you're a sheep and stuff. Like yeah. people not wearing a mask and sitting next to each other really close is a political statement. Like it is... Yeah. a defiant libertarian type statement in and of itself. Yeah. And look what happened to Herman Cain. They didn't want to wear a mask. They didn't want to show up at the Tulsa rally and was where people had knowingly had coronavirus there. And he, he caught coronavirus. Some people will say, we don't know if he caught it there, but the simple fact that he was doing all that traveling and not wearing a mask is the political statement you're talking about. It is the fact that we, this is some hoax liberal agenda to not get Donald Trump reelected. We're not buying it, right? Because guess what? Donald Trump has made America great again. So isn't that big of a deal? And because they had to be committed to that narrative in an election year, this is what we see happen. And Herman King lost his life as a result of that. So I don't know, man. I'm beyond, like, I, 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 for me, I'm just thoroughly surprised, man. Like, I'm thoroughly surprised. Like, I, I can't comprehend what I am seeing, how the need to maintain political power has caused a section 
of the American public to literally deny reality. I would thought I would have seen it all, but I don't know. I think this, this moment in American history, sociologists can look at this and go, look at how America behaved. Like, why have other countries been able to defeat the coronavirus way faster than we have? Because it was no politicization that came with it. <laughs> so we need to socially distance, we need to shut everything down until this goes away. And if all of America agreed with that, the virus would probably be gone by now. But we got half America going, this ain't even a thing. So here we are. Yeah, I think that the reality is like, Corona is real. I know it's real because I work in the field and it is real. People were, people are, were dying and still are dying. And like Brian said, because we don't feel it in our close proximities, it really is hitting the marginalized and least of these communities. And I think that this time really speaks of like how Jesus talks about the wheat and the tares. Like for me, I just feel like you really see who the real and who the not. Because Jesus was all about the one. He left the 99 for the one. And so now you're going to say, I, I was on that tip. I would say I was actually on that tip too. But now you're going to say, because 99.99% of the people are going to survive this coronavirus, we don't have to act like anything is going on, I think is completely wrong because the nature of this disease is so unknown that we don't have a handle on it. And so you can't treat it like the flu or things that we already are familiar with. You can't. And so not thinking about that 0.11 and not following state guidelines to keep that 0.11 safe, I think you're not being obedient to scripture at all. I think you're being disobedient to scripture. It's also just the wrong way to look at the numbers. You got major countries that have maybe 50 deaths. I think Korea had 300 deaths. Australia had 100. Even like Spain and Italy, like they got rocked at the beginning and now they're not really having, they're having maybe a few deaths per week. I just think that let's get politics out of the church. You know what I'm saying? And let's just look at people for people. Like the number one command was love your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so thinking that something as contagious, this is a really contagious virus, really like extremely contagious virus. And so to think that it's about rights and it's about me and mine, it just also speaks to the Western civilization ideals and so I think that we need to, I think the church, especially the white evangelical church needs to just take a step back and look at not just um, the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law, you know what I'm saying? And just really take a deep look at what Jesus Christ is saying about this. Welcome back. As a member of the white delegation, I have some issues to raise about Black Lives Matter. Oh my God. <laughs> now, um, so basically there's a- uh, Reb, I would've just heard that statement in isolation, I would cut you from the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, recently there's been like a, uh, a surge of criticisms and talking points regarding Black Lives Matter along the lines of Black Lives Matter, the organization supports certain ideas that aren't coming from a Christian worldview, that don't uh, fit in with traditional Christian belief, as it were. 
And then this week, Jonathan Isaac of the Magic during the national anthem at an NBA game while all the players in the league were kneeling and wearing a shirt that says Black Lives Matter. Jonathan Isaac, he stood during the anthem and he also didn't wear a Black Lives Matter shirt. And then in the, after, in the post game, he didn't necessarily have the same criticism, but basically gave his Christian faith as a reason for why he wasn't kneeling and why he wasn't necessarily supporting Black Lives Matter. And yeah, we're going to talk about that. This is obviously a topic that is a very big deal right now, the Black Lives Matter movement and our support for that. And so with this criticism, which I feel like is only going to become more and more amplified, we felt like it'd be a good idea to just dig into this topic and answer the question, should Christians support Black Lives Matter? So yeah, what do you guys think in terms of how are you flying into this conversation? Yeah, just a firm, just a, just a continue, just to, just to be clear. And I would invite uh, everyone to actually go to the Black Lives Matter website to read the documentation itself. Is that there's this conversation there about redefining the human family, certain things that just seem this has just been contrary to how we understand gender and sexuality, right? So. Um, you know, we're not going to read all those statements that they have on their website, but definitely you would invite people to go and check that out. Um, because I do think that people should, they want to consider themselves a part of the Black Lives Matter organization. You should at least know where they stand or why the controversy is what it is. We'll put a link in, in the show notes and we invite people to check out the Black Lives Matter organization statement of beliefs. Everybody got a statement of beliefs these days, man. Everybody got a statement of beliefs, bro. Um, you know? So yeah, how, what are your guys' initial thoughts? How, how much in the mix with this kind of conversation are you? Is it just my Facebook feed? Am I algorithmed into this like echo chamber of we shouldn't support Black Lives Matter? Are, have y'all heard this too or what's going on? I've definitely heard it a lot because I'm in both worlds. Like as a Black person who is not ashamed of that essential part of my identity, I also am in white evangelical spaces and was educated in white evangelical spaces and have worked in white evangelical spaces. And so I'm very much aware of, and I've had white evangelical teachers, like people who I've taken teaching from in my own spiritual growth, right? That have this position. So it's crazy. The other day I was watching a sermon from Mark Driscoll, who is on racial issues, as far as I was aware of, like much more open to the idea of pursuing justice, right? Definitely not like crazy anti-justice, like someone like John MacArthur, he preached a sermon in which he was critical of the Black Lives Matter movement. He was trying to say you should be critical of both the Black Lives Matter movement and support for Donald Trump. That's where he was coming from, but still was very critical of the Black Lives Matter movement. And yes, I've been hearing it. It's been there, popular evangelicals all over America have been definitely promoting that. So in other words, from this is a more prevalent and mainstream position than we might think. Yeah, definitely. I, you see, I think that for Black people who are in mostly Black circles, of course you should divide, you should of course like support Black Lives Matter. Like it's, it's just, you know, what it is. But I think if you just venture out into having conversation from other people in other circles, you start to meet more and more of this view. And to be fair though, there have been Black thinkers and commentators who said they don't support Black Lives Matter. So I'm not going to say it's been 100% 
people who've been black who like, yeah, Black Lives Matter. But for, for the most part, like, it's within the black community, it's of course, when you begin to have conversations outside, <laughs> people outside of our community, that's when you start to see, I don't know if I can support this. Yeah, so for me, this issue is a non-issue for me because I think that, yeah, you just definitely spoke about me, Brian. I, I, I have not really, and I think I intentionally have not ventured off into other circles to have these conversations because they're very triggering for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I grew up in a, I, I, I grew up in a very marginalized community for about six years before I came to, to, to white suburbia. And so I learned a lot of my history. And so I, I just grew up, that kind of just was the thread for me as I, I grew up. And even though I, it stayed with me as I grew in, as I came to Long Island. And I pretty much has always understand what human dignity meant and what my black skin meant. And even when I went into other spaces, I just tried not to have those conversations because I think I kind of already knew what the positions were. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be a hurtful conversation to have. And exactly. And so my, I just kind of just tried to, my thing that I tried to do was just push diversity. And that was it because when you get into these conversations, like you said, they can get very hurtful. And I think that people don't really understand what they're saying when they say it. And yeah, this has really been a non-issue. If you were at, if you would ask me any day, if Black Lives Matter, I say, heck yeah, Black Lives Matter. You know what I mean? Like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? And and of course, to me, it would seem to be a Christian statement for me as well. And understanding right the nuance of the statement even more with Christian, like with the Christian narrative. It even it even means more to me. I understand it even more. And so I just don't get why these be the, the conversations people feel like they need to have such in-depth conversations with. The only time that I've had somebody actually point something out to me was like a couple of weeks ago, like you were saying about like some black evangelicals, they're more on, I guess, the conservative side. So I seen a video by Goldie Bakum a good friend of John MacArthur. Um, a mutual friend of the show. <laughs> <laughs> who was saying to me what sounded like, bro, you don't know your history. Like, what do you even understand? Like, you you clearly are speaking about things you do not know about. And, I, that, and so for me, it's just, that's how I look at people who speak about these things. Like, you clearly don't know your history. You're getting your facts from someone who... Someone who like has a, a certain bent on why you're saying what you're saying the way you're saying it. And so I, I, I just sign off at that point. I, I'm not listening to you. That's it. That's as easy as it is for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I think mentioning, V, I'm glad you brought up knowing your history. We'll get into, I guess, how should Christians operate with a organization that isn't an Christian organization that doesn't have those presuppositions or doesn't have the same belief system or values. And, and how do you, how are you, how do you operate as co-belligerents and, and so forth within that setting? But I think the history of this is interesting because, so the term cultural Marxism in general gets thrown around and that's a whole, I just can't. I just a, can't. Yeah. That's a whole, that's a whole nother conversation, but this is not a new talking point. Yeah. yeah. In the 50s and the 60s, during the civil rights era, which now everybody loves the civil rights era. Oh my goodness. Everybody loves Martin Everyone loves Martin Luther King Jr. now. He's all things that he, he, he achieved, Paul, 
by being all things to all people. Everybody can prove that they are right about everything. Yeah, absolutely. But in the 1950s, Billy Graham, and God bless him, his position changed over time. And this doesn't discredit the ministry that he has done, but he was on the record saying, I don't know if I want to comment on segregation because I know that this civil rights thing, you know, I think there's a lot of communist and communist sympathizing aspects to it, right? You know, that was a prevalent talking point in the 50s and the 60s for white evangelical Christians to distance Mm -hmm. themselves from the civil rights movement. So to not, and as I say, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Like for you to not recognize (laughs) that this is a, like an evergreen talking point, which comes up again and again, once you start talking about civil rights for black people and the white evangelical church, that's an important thing to recognize. Yeah, but I think the question has to be asked, all right. Why is this statement resonating so much? And, and I don't think that white evangelicals have done their due diligence. There's been such a quick desire to dismiss what's been going on and to say it's Marxism and you shouldn't, you shouldn't support it. Have they had any honest reflection as to why the statement Black Lives Matter has hit the culture in such a way that Innocent the culture, you know what I mean? And so you can say that's a result of cultural degradation or the culture is brought into Marxism, or you can recognize that for, for historically speaking, since Black people have been in this country, it's been very clear that Black lives have not mattered. And so that statement is just a very succinct affirmation of human dignity within Black lives. And it deeply resonates with people so that people who've never even heard that there's an organization, didn't even know that an organization was ever even founded, have deeply resonated with that statement. And I think that the thing that deeply bothers me about all of this is that if the church were affirming this from the very beginning, right, and doing everything they could to ensure that Black lives were treated correctly, oppose the slave trade, oppose whatever systemic or structural institutions that were racist being entrenched in American society, if the church had its own clear, ethical, systematic approach to justice spelled out by some of her thinkers and theologians and philosophers that churches were following, the Black Lives Matter movement would not exist. Yeah. It simply it would not exist if the church was handling its business from the very beginning. It would not exist, and so it's just very it's, it's troubling to me to just see, even to this day, a desire to fight against this movement and no real substitution, no real alternative, no significantly thought out alternative even being put forward. So, this is where we're at right now. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Like we have not as a body collectively come up with a response that like you said is a substitution i would say the closest thing that i'm grateful that you have had me um, become a part of india's pray march act i think that's the closest thing that i've seen to like a collective response but even that we've there's a lot of obstacles you're very it's very hard for you to get people to get on board christians to get on board And I think for me, that's very disheartening. It's very, um, again, it's very hurtful to see. I think just this conversation alone is one of those conversations that 
just makes me um, really sad. And I just go to the Lord and lament about it. And, and at the end of the day, like, I just have to like trust in the Lord that like he's going to do his work in us because I just don't see, I just don't see feet hitting the ground, like hard body to make sure mm-hmm. that we say black lives matter and know that in essence, we are saying all lives matter and not have it become this like real, like crazy political thing. Like, I just don't, I just don't get it. But again, I just have to really trust in the Lord that like, he's going to do, he's going to, he's going to finish what he started in the body. Yeah. Let's assume the worst for the sake of the argument about the worst charges that people have brought up about Black Lives Matter, the organization. So let's assume that all the worst things said about it, let's assume that those things are, are true or that the worst thing said about it is true. How are you supposed to operate within this movement if that's the case? Yeah, you talk about co-belligerence, you mentioned that, and I don't know if you have any other things you want to say on that, but I know for a fact, let's just say the state wanted to somehow oppose religious freedom. I'll tell you right now, evangelicals would have no problem teaming up with Muslims and with Latter-day Saints, Mormons, whoever, people that they profoundly disagree with on doctrinal issues and would in no way advocate for their own people to follow and believe in. They would, for the sake of achieving a political cause that is helpful for the rest of society, they would team up. Like you would have people team up. Or for instance, the pro-life issue, evangelicals have no issue associating themselves who may have convictions that are pro-life, but those convictions might be founded on totally different religious or uh, worldview presuppositions. But they come to the same conclusion that allows for a partnership to be had. So this idea of co-belligerence is is an important one to talk about because it's like the Black Lives Matter movement. If we decide to, to, to partner with that organization to help make sure that black lives are respected, then we're not uh, by that partnership saying that we agree with everything that they are espousing. And I think churches, if they're doing their job and teaching scripturally what God expects for the family to be and, and, and all of that, we, we shouldn't have to worry about are people going to be misled by the organization? No, churches are doing their job teaching their people. It's okay for us to go. We're partnering with an organization for an express purpose. And that's what it is. So what you just said is the reason why I feel like the impetus behind the question is cynical because in 2016, what was the thing that you heard over and over again? Yeah, we don't believe in most of what Donald Trump, yeah, we're against mm-hmm. so much of what Donald Trump has said, but just think about the judges that he'll get on the Supreme Court <laughs> that are pro-life. Like right. we, could, we could get on board for that. And yeah. that those, the people that are saying that are most of the people that are bringing this question up to begin with. Ultimately, if you're a Christian and you're doing any type of civic engagement, you're going to be a strange bedfellows, so to speak, with people that support various issues because you're in a pluralistic society and you're operating in the public square. So in other words, actually being discerning about who you partner with and like really getting into the details with that is a wise thing. And you should... Yeah, you should look for the good things, the redeemable things, the true things, and then also the things that are totally off with every partner when it comes to any type of cause, but that doesn't discredit your partnership within the movement. So I definitely agree. Yeah, and in terms of partnership, I'll just say 
for one more thing, because I think it's important to just, I think that I want to approach like supporting the Black Lives Matter movement from a theological point of view. When I was in seminary, I studied a theologian called Cornelius Van Til. Van Til is a Christian apologist, dealt very much with you know, worldview, Christian presuppositions, and what that means to take that into settings where we're having discussions defending our faith. And one of the points he makes is that essentially that all there's no such thing as just brute facts, that all facts should be rightly interpreted as belonging to God. They're essentially, they're Christian facts. All truth belongs to God. And so the, the statement, Black Lives Matter, right? And this is the issue that I had with Mark Driscoll's sermon, uh, because Mark Driscoll in his sermon, he was comparing saying, I affirm Black Lives Matter as saying, I affirm Make America Great Again. And so he was having an issue with people affirming both of those statements. And the problem is the statement Black Lives Matter is a, it's a biblical statement. It is a statement that gets to the truth that human beings are created in the image of God and that they matter. And so that's a truth that ultimately belongs to God. And the Bible is very clear that any injustice that's being promulgated to any person, poor, whatever race, all the different ways we find ways to be to treat people unjustly, that's very close to the heart of God and he's concerned about that. The statement of make America great again, hate to break anybody's bubble, but God doesn't care about making America great. There's no biblical assumptions that America will be made great. I know that's something that certain patriots would like to believe that somehow God is invested in making America great, but America is just like any other nation. It will rise and it will fall. God is not concerned. There's no biblical mandate to make America great. So it's so affirming one is not exactly the same as affirming the other. But just going back to how Cornelius Van Til approached things is that when you have it, so what unbelievers do is because they don't presuppose the triune God, they don't presuppose Christianity is true, but they still live in God's world. What they end up doing is they end up finding true statements about the world, but they color it up in their unbelief. And so the Black Lives Matter organization is not a Christian organization. And, and so the fact is that they're not going to have Christian presuppositions. Now they have stumbled upon a very important truth a very important Christian truth that black lives matter. And so what do, so what should Christians do? How should Christians approach this? Christians should go back and reclaim the truth that rightfully belongs to God. Mm. We should enter into the black lives matter space and go, we hear you having this conversation. We hear you affirming black lives matter. We hear the culture having this conversation and we're going to fill in the gaps. We're going to fill in those presuppositions. Why do black lives matter? They matter because they were made in the image of God, right? That those are questions that the organization itself can't answer because it doesn't have those Christian presuppositions. They might be able to allude to it and they might have this felt sense that human dignity is important, but they, they aren't able to fill in those gaps. And so for me, it's for the purposes of reaching the culture and showing the culture that we're serious about pursuing justice in our country, we should enter into those conversations with this idea of help us, let's help make better sense of the idea that Black Lives Matter. And so what I would like to see is I would like to see Christian thinkers, theologians, philosophers, instead of trying to separate themselves from the Black Lives Matter movement, I would like to see them enter into it and establish a thoroughly Christian framework for why it matters. Because Black Lives Matter is a truth that belongs to God. Facts. <laughs> I feel you. Everywhere you just said. So, you know, this kind of leads us to Jonathan Isaac. So jo Jonathan Isaac is, I didn't even know who he, he's a young, he's, is he a rookie? 
Is he nice? I want to look up his I never stats. Heard, I never even about heard him. about the ball until this whole thing happened. All right. He's, he's averaging 12, 7. Is he a rookie? Oh, he's been in the league for a while. He's young. He's 22. So last night, Jonathan Isaac. All right. So the NBA has been promoting Black Lives Matter. All the players have been kneeling during the anthem, and they've had the option within the bubble to wear a uniform that makes a social justice statement. And during the anthem, they're wearing these Black Lives Matter shirts. Jonathan Isaac, he stood for the anthem, and he didn't wear the Black Lives Matter shirt. Now, my friend texted me this, and the first thing I thought was, this guy is going to be an absolute star after this. So (laughs) he's about to be like 100 million people's hero who just can totally post this on Facebook. Like, this guy's what I'm talking about. But anyway, aside from that, I want to explore where he's coming from and what his rationale, I guess, tells us about maybe some of the theological things that American Christianity, I guess, kind of promotes. Because an important detail is that he's a Christian. And he, during the post-game interview, pointed to his Christian faith as the reason why he didn't kneel. So he, he affirmed, yes, Black Lives Matter, but I don't think we need to kneel. I don't think we need to uh, wear a shirt. All have sinned and fallen before, fallen short of the glory of God and so forth. And what do you guys think about this? What do you guys think about Jonathan Isaac and what he represents? And what, it, what exactly is going on in this? Because I think it's an interesting uh, case study for this topic. Yeah, when I read the statement, I, I felt like there was this like overemphasis on this individual relationship with God. And if you have a relationship with God, then sin would be taken care of. And it's about being in relationship with God, you know, like and, um, you know, divided by faith by Emerson and Smith pretty much kind of spell out what he's talking about. This relationship is important, but it drowns out the fact that there are structures, situate like structures, systemic issues, other outside things that affect why sin happens, and it doesn't take that into account. And one of the, the one of the main yeah one of the first things that they talk about is this cultural toolkit. And one of them is accountable individualism. And it says that individuals exist independent of structures and institution, have free will and are individually accountable for their own actions. And it pretty much sounds like that's what Jonathan was drawing from. And it's just unfortunate that he fails to see that it's more than just about the relationship with God. It's about seeing the bigger picture and seeing that there are outside things that caused this to be such an issue that you should actually stand in solidarity with because God affirms these things. God affirms Black Lives Matter and God also affirms that you should be in relationship with him. Those two don't work against each other. Just reading this statement, I just saw it largely as a dismissal and the downplaying of the issue. When he said in his statement that racism isn't the only thing that plagues our society, there are other things that plague our society. And so we should, we should want to just get past not only racism, but other things that plague ourselves as a society. At that point, it's, you're just basically saying, yeah, racism, not that big of a deal. There's other things that we should be talking about, but we're talking about this and we can walk and chew gum at the same time. But this is an issue that's important that we, we must deal with. So the dismissal and rejection of it. Now, I think what feeds that is what Barley was uh, explaining. is this idea that a lot of 
American Christianity has tried to has emphasized the love God part, but not the love people part, right? Like they've thought very much about individualistic salvation and what it means to have your own sanctification and loving God and God being personal for you, but not very much conversation has or thinking has gone into how we relate to each other, especially maybe more so on an individual sin kind of a thing, but certainly not on a systemic level of how our sin has embedded itself into systems and structures and how that affects how we love our neighbor. And so just this mention of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it seems to be the preeminence of preaching the gospel over dealing with social justice issues. It's the same thing we encountered all over the statement on social justice and the gospel that John MacArthur and his homeboys put out. This idea of the church is going to be distracted from preaching the gospel and talking about Jesus if we talk about the social justice or these issues right now, you know, and that's obviously not a full breadth and understanding of, of Christianity because the two do not go against each other or contradict each other at all. So, as a matter of fact, one is strengthened by the other. And I think what's interesting too about it is that in the art, in, in the reporting of Jonathan Isaac is the fact that he actually is a very earnest, active Christian or he's a very earnest, active citizen, and his faith has led him to give tons in relief to COVID. He's supporting communities through charity and so forth. And it really echoed that other, like that second level you get to in Divided by Faith, where like people go beyond individual. There's like a second level of individualistic Christianity where you don't just think about yourself, but you do think about like systemic racism and solving it through like charity or solving it through mending broken tensions with cross-cultural relationships and so forth. But the moment that though that movement got to making political statements about black lives, it was like, yeah, we're not going to go that far. It, it, it had nothing to say about restructuring society or addressing society in such a way where the very things that are recreating these issues for black people and other minorities and the poor and so forth, we're just going to do charity. And I think that's an important distinction for Christians, especially evangelical Christians, to understand that there's another level beyond charity. There's another level beyond you, you know, becoming... Having relationships with black people. Yeah, yeah. Like, we're talking about something bigger than that, where actually, like, Literally, everybody in the whole country could come to faith and start giving all their time to building great relationships with other people. But that's not going to change the fact that we're like still deeply segregated because of redlining. That's not going to change the fact that schools are deeply underfunded and healthcare is really inaccessible and black people died from COVID at twice the rate of white people. Like, that's a structural thing. And that's where the protest comes into play. And so, yeah, I think that's really on point to just understanding where Jonathan Isaac, that whole issue, what that's at the cross sections of. Frankly, I don't know. Don't get me wrong. I think the NBA thing, and this might be, I don't know if you guys agree with me on this, but like, I think the NBA thing is somewhat disingenuous and just because of the fact that they're not taking a stand for issues in China because it's going to cost them money. How much do corporations, how much does the NBA and other corporations appropriate Black Lives Matter? to make money that's a whole nother topic but as brian as you said we're having the conversation and it's being had and so to, to make a state once again to make a statement like there's other issues other than racism that's it that right there is the main thing 
to understand that statement. So- yeah, man, I, I would just say to, as we're wrapping it up, man, ask yourself, if you oppose Black Lives Matter, right, ask yourself truly and earnestly why that is, right? It's probably likely because the whole idea of talking about racial injustice and how that affects Black people and other minorities systemically is something that you oppose. That's the majority of people that I've seen have, they, they have that bent. It, in other words, the whole thing is a distraction from the fact that many people, white evangelicals, still don't want to have a serious, not just conversation, but begin to invest energy in moving towards racial justice. Uh, and so I think it's very important to have that introspection. And again, I would challenge people, if at the end of the day, if you go, you know what, I've read the Black Lives Matter stuff. I hear what you guys are saying. I still can't support the movement. I would say, okay, so what next? What, how are you going to devote yourself to fighting for this issue? Because it's not enough to go, I'm not going to support that. I guess I'm just going to not care, right? Because the fact is, Black lives are still not being respected in many areas of society. There's still systemic issues that plague Black lives. And for you to go, I'm not going to care. I'm not going to support Black Lives Matter, period, full stop. And that's not getting to the heart of what I believe God's heart is on this. That's all I'm saying. For me, it's a clear cut case that I don't have an issue partnering with the Black Lives Matter organization. But I do leave room for people's consciences. But I would say to ask yourself why that is an issue for you. And I would also say, if you come to that conclusion, what, what, what comes next? That's all I'm saying. But I think with that, we'll close things out. Again, I am Bryant, the theological giant, alongside to my nearest and dearest. Varlene, the wild thought, Mary. And Andy, young Nassau County. All right, guys. So we'll see you in the next episode. Be blessed. Peace. Peace. City Image.